The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 90 of The Overview. I'm Chamman V. And joining me, of course, are Fish Dixon ZP. What's up, guys? Yo, yo, yo. I just realized, Chris, that we're basically assholes because we're <laughs> keeping Nuki up I know. To, till four in the morning local time. I know. And not, <laughs> only is it, not only is it just like a regular day, she has to travel to DreamHack tomorrow. So, wow, we are terrible people, Chris. <laughs> Like, like, a, it's a symbol of dedication of which Yuki is very dedicated, and B, at least it's not casting. Where look, I used to keep Uber up to this level of uh, <laughs> time, and he would actually have the police knocking on his door, telling him to shut up or else. And I got news for you: Uber's German was not good enough to really argue in a way that would make that go in his favor if it escalated. So oh, that's we've that's. Done work. That's definitely a first, but I want to welcome our guest, of course, Nuki here, who, uh, if you guys don't know who she is, she's a, a manager, an organizer, community mom, <laughs> like, I'm trying to, like, figure out the best way to it. I was, like, talking to Nuki earlier about how to introduce her, but welcome to the show, Nuki. Hello, nice that you have me. Yeah. I know it's not too bad that you keep me up till 4 a.m. I mean, <laughs> I'm living in an A schedule anyways. Once I live in LA or so, it's all natural. Yeah, because you, you probably stay up to watch <laughs> OWL like all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. So, okay, we're not that bad then. <laughs> Fish yeah. has a very, very guilty conscience. And it's, is it harder to live on an A schedule than EU? I'm trying to think. Yeah, that'd be pretty difficult. That'd be difficult. I was like living on EU schedule this last week because of the Hearthstone um, championships in Amsterdam. And that was brutal, man. <laughs> that was really, really tough. So I can't imagine having to, to do it you know, fairly regularly, Nuki. It's definitely awesome. It's just better to stay awake at night, like just go into the night than mm -hmm. if you need to wake up at like 3 a.m. and then go from there. That's really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Well, anyways, guys, we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, it's been a busy week, and it's one of those things where we said that we weren't going to be doing this show quite as often. It was just like, dude, we got to do one this week. This week is crazy packed and stuff of course we've got uh, a patch that just came out today uh, with a few things and you're going to interview nuki of course get see what uh, she's been up to lately uh owl week two stage one <laughs> lots of very interesting results there and uh lots to talk about previewing week three of course and then we've got some xqc news uh, as well as some you know long-standing teams disbanding that uh, I think it's going to be worth talking about. Q&A, we've got a question from uh, one of the viewers. If you want to send in questions, go ahead and email that to theoverview at chamanv.tv. And we'll try to get to those questions each week or maybe even this week. So uh, let's start off. Uh, I figured we'd just talk to you, Nuki, for a while and kind of get, um, you know, just see what you're up to lately. Because I know you're definitely very, very busy right now. So um, I guess first off, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and maybe a lot of some folks don't know who you are in the community. Um, so my name is Nuki or Izzy is my first name. I go with both. Um, I started out in Overwatch as a player during beta and um, end of the year, end of 2016, I started uh, administrating tournaments, which started with the Realm Winter Series, if anybody remembers, that was so long ago. 
um, and created my own tournament in the beginning of 2017, which helped EU out a tiny bit because it was pretty rough at that time. Um, with the Strivewire Monthly Brawl, um, did adminning over the summer with TakeOver um, World Cup stage in Poland and working some smaller events. And at the moment, um, I'm working on a team. I'm managing a team that's called Those Guys. We are playing in the Overwatch pit at the moment. I think the, the underlying thesis here is passion, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's an entire sure. process, right? Where when you first get involved in a community, you sort of find your way going and working on a bit of everything. But in the process, you also gain a lot of experience. I mean, it, one of the things you didn't even mention is that you have been one of the most active VODs and one of the most active Overwatch-related discords. And look, that just exposes you to dealing with all sorts of things, both good and bad. So <laughs> uh, you actually have sort of a big community mom in a way for a long time. Yeah, definitely. As um, I really like to to take care of, of players and stuff and help them out when they need like contacts for tournaments or overall contacts uh, with orcs, etc. And I just, that that's why people have such a hard time introducing me because I literally <laughs> did a bit of everything. I did a bit of admining, I did a bit of managing, I did a bit of organizing, I did a bit of observing. Like, nobody knows what I actually do, but I do stuff. You're the glue. That's what <laughs> people <laughs> become accustomed to, you know, describing and what a community needs. And we, and we need lots of people like yourself. And so, you know, thank you for everything you do, Nuki. Like, it's definitely um, very been, you know, it's been really, really great and behind the scenes. You, you know what else Nuki do? Actually, mm -hmm. going back to my original statement opening the show, mm -hmm. I actually take it all back because you, you watch the show anyway, now that I think about <laughs> it at, the, at this time. So, That's true. Uh, yeah, I think that it, that just goes to show that uh, that the passion is there. Uh, so, speaking of passion, uh, what what before we jump into to some of the stuff about those guys and the team you're working on now, and, and your perspective on uh, things happening right now, just quickly for for my knowledge and for everyone else's knowledge, like what got you into being so involved in the community in the first place? Like, were you playing other competitive FPSs in the past? Did you know some of these players? Like, why did you dive headfirst into Overwatch? Like. I've been pretty much around the whole um, Blizzard gaming community for, oh my god, I don't know. When did I when did I do my A-levels? I can't even remember, but since I was like 15, 16-ish, <laughs> I started playing World of Warcraft. I, um, I raided actively in like top 10 German guilds. Uh, I switched over to Heroes of the Storm when it came out because I really like playing League of Legends and... Heroes of the Storm was just more appealing because I really like the multiplayer and the very team objective-based aspect of it. And so Overwatch was just a, just a no-brainer. Just uh, got a beta invite, tried it out a tiny bit, main Zenyatta, not Mercy, Zenyatta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good and just, okay. And just uh, going from there, like, um, really always tried uh enjoyed competing in anything. So I'm a very competitive personality and yeah, I like showing off sometimes. There you go. Yeah, so you've transitioned. Talk, look, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead Chris. Ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, well, I mean, I, before we get, I mean, uh, if you have anything before we get into like talking about those. No, guys, no, like, let's get into it. Yeah. So, um, Nuki, you, you've, you've kind of, I wouldn't say transitioned into it, but like your latest project right now is, is uh, you know, managing, like you said, the European team, those guys that's competing in the Overwatch pit uh, event that's going on right now. If you guys aren't, you know, haven't been following it, it's been going on pretty much during the day, every single day. Uh, and it's a European tournament that, um, you know, is, I think, 10 teams 
and it's two groups. Mm -hmm. And of course, those guys are. Let me show, actually just show it real quick here. Um, so yeah, I mean, those guys are doing great. I mean, I, was, I definitely watched y'all's first match against uh, Ents, and guys looking good. So, uh, how have you been enjoying managing this team? Um, what are your thoughts on the team so far? I've definitely enjoyed managing this team. I was with the team basically since the beginning. Um, it was in the beginning. It was just Hanzo and Craggy, which are two guys from EU. Craggy played in Singularity Gorillas, I think it was called. They had two teams at that time. Um, and Hanzo was the leader of Vivi's Adventures, and they asked me to help them build the team, which was, I think, like end of October. And since then, we just invited players to try out, we built the core, we adjusted a tiny bit, and I think we're definitely one of the, like, let's say, top five teams in Europe at the moment, in my opinion, at least. Nice. Yeah, that's one thing we haven't talked much about recently, is just Overwatch in Europe, right? Everything's just been completely Overwatch League-based. And even before that, it was very NA-centric and even Korean uh, and maybe even a little of China. So it's nice to actually see a EU event going on now and where we can actually showcase some of these EU teams again. And yeah, for the for the uh, listeners who aren't watching right now or don't have a, a link in front of them, the roster is Craggy, Kib, Half a Cool, Fusions, Bach One, Crusade, uh, or Baki, I don't know. Uh, Funny, Astro, and Shifty. I know at least three of those names pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've seen a lot of Haffy Cool and Kib throughout uh, throughout the years. Um, but how did this team come together, and 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 what do you think the the strengths of this roster are? Um, the team, as I said, it was a pretty long process to get the team together. I think we are a full team since like a week or two now. So we tried out at least like two plus months to get the right roster and the right core together. Um, first, we just worked with a, a core of four players. And then we, and lastly, we added Hafikul and Kip to the roster. Kip was the last one we added. Um, and it's all based around like a mix out of like old talent. Like, not, I don't want to say old talent, but like uh, known players. And we try to put in some some lesser known players that we think have potential to play on the level. For example, Fusions and Funny Astro. They are two UK players that are not really well known. Fusions, for example, played for Nerd Rage back in the day. It was really in the beginning of the year. Um and he's a he's a very great like shot calling main tank. So it really like that time that we picked him up, it was really we were really missing a leader and so we picked him up and like everything went pretty smoothly since then um and astro is is the same basically he's a he comes from ladder mainly um is one of the i think top lucios at the moment in europe mm -hmm. and we wanted to have the three support core because we wanted to have a bit more dynamic on like lucio mercy maps and then with bok as an as an anna zen specialist in there and it's working pretty well for us at the moment I just want to note one thing. The term to use where you want to sort of not call people out for being old, but you want to be, you sort of spit it as experience. It's like, they're veterans. Oh, we have this veteran experience. Yeah. We're, not, we're just not going to note that barely anything in his body works anymore. So, but, you know, hey, <laughs> still fine. What is veteran old in Overwatch? I mean, old in Overwatch is like well, we, a year we and a half, a couple years. We have this old, out of his prime 21-year-old. You know, <laughs> his life is basically <laughs> over. Oh, I don't man. think that's true. I think... Uh, I honestly think the play game is going to continue to go up and up, but uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely. Think it's funny how you can take the term veteran and just apply it to so many things. 
<laughs> so, you know, I'm not super familiar with some of these teams. Like, are, are a lot of these teams put together, in the, you know, kind of like similar to you guys in the last couple weeks or so? Or have some of these teams been around a while? Are you familiar with a lot of these teams? I'm familiar with all of these teams. We are yeah. scrimming most of them. Um, it is, yeah, it, it's been it's been a pretty big process since Contenders, like the first Contenders info soon TM got announced. Um, or more like it got announced that it will come back. Like teams started forming. Like we had, we had people trying out for teams that we scrimmed a block later, and then trying out for our team the next day, and then scrimming the other guys again. And it was like it, just a super big shuffle till everyone in Europe found their place. And it's still a tiny bit of shuffling, but most of the teams are set now. And it's as ZP said, all the veteran players plus a tiny bit of new talent mm -hmm. fiddled so in. So this sort of leads a question here, and it'll lead to a few follow-up questions as well. But so one thing when I look at the EU scene, particularly when compared to how other seeds are developing, is that EU right now, and I'm sure it's due to a variety of reasons, but it seems more like the Wild West, where when you look at the EU teams involved in Overwatch Pit, teams are either unsponsored or they're sponsored with organizations that are very new to esports and unlikely to be able to provide, in many cases, the full team housing, support structure, paid coaches, analysts, etc., that you might be getting in other regions. How is the climate in EU when you're looking for sponsors and support? Because it seems very rough. It is definitely very rough. Um, what I can say is that orgs are still a tiny bit of shy to commit, just because there's like so many open contender slots uh, still. Like Mosaic just bought the one from one to three. Um, but the other slots, I think there's like five slots open for open teams. And so orcs are very reserved into getting into talks before the slots are set with people. Now, I, I guess a follow-up question here would be, and this is sort of going to the e tier two seeds in general right now, is that there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes, not a lot that's sort of been publicly announced, but there's a lot of very big infrastructure spending and big projects on the North America side of things in terms of building very strong teams uh, with support and all the rest. And what I've personally noticed is that you have a bit of a brain drain going on right now in NA, where NA is not only grabbing the best local players in NA, but you have players from EU moving to NA to prepare for that, those tier two competitions. You have players from Korea looking for opportunities in NA moving forward. Whereas EU right now doesn't seem to be able to do the same and pulling away from NA or pulling from Korea. How problematic is that for team building in EU where right now it just feels like there's a specter where you could build a team and then before you know it, suddenly they're sniped by an organization that's willing to put in more support. The big thing about uh, EU versus NA in that regard is that NA, first of all, has way bigger exposure than EU. EU is likely to be overlooked, um, like easier to be overlooked because the whole infrastructure, like you said, and the whole org structure. The other thing is you have six times the academy teams, so it's way easier for <laughs> yeah. European players to... Uh, to seek an A than for an A players to seek EU. Um, and it's just like the whole, like if, if you, if you really want to improve, like I, I have that, I had that for one player that tried out for us and also for a North American Academy team. Um, it was just like, I want to go to America and especially to the Academy teams because I just want to have the good ranked, like 
playing Western or West Coast ranked at the moment is way better practice for them, and they can reach way better heights with that too. Like additionally to all the money, moving, living in NA, having a structure, etc. Stuff. We've tried our best in NA to try and import the Korean ranked experience. I don't know if it's quite there yet, but definitely, <laughs> by all yeah. accounts, well, West it's better right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's definitely better. So what do we see in the future for, I mean, in terms of like EU contenders? And, you know, we're actually going to compare the contenders in all the different regions when the teams can just basically pick from anywhere, right? Like the, the actual OWL teams can just choose from wherever they want. Um, what kind of environment, ecosystem do we really see then? I mean, are these, these? Um, I mean, for lack of a better word, let's just say tier, tier two type of contender regions just going to exist as literally just a way to support players more so than actually being a, you know, you know, viable place for people to choose from, you know, cause I, I feel like if there's like, let's just say NA is that contenders where, you know, the highest quality is, won't everybody just want to be in that, that bucket? Like won't, won't they try to just get on NA contender teams? And I mean, or, or are we going to actually see this kind of tiered level where EU is like feeding into NA contenders, you know, weird, something weird like that. I think I think some of it can definitely feed in. Like there's mm -hmm. this there's this clause that you need to add to contracts for for contenders that you are allowed to try out for WL teams and that you can get picked up no matter what. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely there will be definitely way less of the I don't want to call it trapping. It's more like a unfortunate contract situations. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Political I would be shocked if that happens again, given how much of yeah. a nightmare it was. <laughs> going so so I think season. it's it's pretty it's pretty open to pull from if people want to have like a really good support out of EU or a good tank out of EU, they can just pull from there if they want to. Alright, so Yeah, go ahead. CP. So I guess you know we're sort of bed shakes for the problems that EU has been facing. Uh, Nuki, obviously, you've been in and around the EU scene for a long time. What do you think EU needs to sort of prop it back up again and sort of you know stalwart itself against some of the you know recent pressures that have been? Like uh, basically, how do you take the current EU scene and make it a case where you're a player in EU and you really want to stay in EU up until the point you get the call in to OWL? I think a big point that we really need would be sustainability. Just um, having the having the support from orcs and having the support maybe even from like third party organizers. Um, getting getting a decent tournament structure even around contenders uh, would be really nice. Just having some additional tournaments so it's actually sustainable for people to live in certain EU countries because some countries can be really expensive, like states mm -hmm. in America, I guess. Um, and having a support structure would be like the most the most uh, advantageous thing to have. And one final thing, then uh, you know, Ben, uh, can get to your point. But I think it's funny because I, you mentioned other support structures. It feels like for EU in the past year and a half, you've had contenders, but arguably the biggest sort of PR selling point for teams in EU has been Overwatch World Cup because by nature, Overwatch World Cup has tons and tons of European-related teams. It's the biggest EU representation that we've had. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a good thing about living in, uh, in a region with so many different countries. Um, it definitely helps the World Cup, but the World Cup is only once a year, too. So if you have once a year to shine, that's and you just don't look good. That's, that's gone then, and 
with a with a good tournament structure around that, you have definitely more chances to to show your value. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I was wondering, you know, we're we have two weeks of OWL under our belts now. I think it's unarguable. Everyone everyone pretty much agrees the first two weeks have gone off extremely well. The viewership has been great. Production value has been great. The hype is real. Everyone's buying their skins, getting into it, buying into it. But as someone that's very much tied to the Tier 2 scene, I guess we'll just keep going with that word or that term. Uh, I, I'm just curious to get your perspective on how people are feeling right now. Uh, things have launched extremely well for Overwatch League, but contenders and everything below it, we still haven't heard a lot. We still don't know a lot. We do know that the, there are there are going to be significant prize pools for contenders leagues, uh, and even those who don't win the whole thing will still be winning or will will still be making at least some money. Uh, mm-hmm. Are people still pursuing the the Overwatch League dream uh, as hard as ever? Like, are people as motivated as ever, or maybe are they less motivated now that they see you know Overwatch League uh, you know and its prominence in in NA? Uh, like, just, just generally, like how how are people? approaching contenders in the tier two scene right now are they super excited or or worried or both (laughs) (laughs) i think i think most of the most of the eu scene from what i've been feeling is still excited like still as excited as um when owl got announced um for many for many players the goal is just ultimately play in contenders and like get scouted so that's still that's still the thing that persists, or even like playing contenders take a tiny bit more time, have a sustainable or like have the sustainable income through contenders and maybe an org, and then really hope that some more European cities buy in by season two. Mm-hmm. And Ben, just as a follow up to that, uh, the, even though it's not year related, uh, you know, I've been in around the tier two side of things of NA uh, very actively over the last uh, month and a half or so, and I could say that. I, I think NA went through a period of reorganization where obviously you had a lot of endemic orgs sort of step back. And there was the great team destruction of 2017 where Owl was looming, everyone sort of mm-hmm. took off. Mm-hmm. NA has had a very, very big resurgence in the last uh, few months where I think people are going to be very pleasantly surprised by the strength of teams that are coming in, but also just the climate around it. Uh, the players are very excited for where things are going to go. Like there's definitely been sort of, there was doom and gloom when all the teams started disappearing uh, in the middle of 2017 and that sort of necessary shift. But there's a lot of hope and optimism going to 2018. The player morale has definitely been higher than I've seen it on that side of things in a very long time. I I can't imagine it not being, you know, more, more on the long, along the signs of being excited, given that, the league is launching to success, right? I mean, if if the league was having issues, then we'd be totally scared. Everybody would be scared that's in the in the <laughs> ecosystem. So, um, it's you know, I wouldn't you know have expected any otherwise, or I wouldn't expect it otherwise for the the players just to be enthused and hoping for more teams to join. You know, the next year, and then that's just another what thirty six slots open or twenty four, whatever it is, right? So. Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities, I think, in the next you know year or two. So hopefully those players keep going at it. But uh, why don't we? Um, well, before we actually move on, we, we're definitely going to move on to Overwatch League. Just want to throw out just a you know real quick, just watch the Overwatch Pit tournament, guys. I think it's Twitch.tv/slash/Overwatch Pit, right? It's the the channel. Yeah, I think it it's is. on. Yeah. So tune into it. I think it's going to be on tomorrow too. So check that out. You can watch uh, uh, Nuki's team. 
those guys play the second half, I think, of their match that they, I think got postponed. It's going to be a very long day tomorrow because yeah. half of our match today, or like half of the matches today got postponed for tomorrow. So I think yeah. we're going to start at like 3 p.m. CET and end at like 10 or 11. So, oh, wow. Why was that? Hey, look, it's yeah. the, it, it wouldn't be, it, it's a throwback tournament. Of <laughs> exactly. course, it's, <laughs> it's got all the qualities of a throwback too. So that's, that's definitely, I, I mean, you cannot confirm or deny whether or not it's being run from my home internet, even though I'm not affiliated <laughs> with the tournament. You actually, you do not know. And by the, by the way, that was a bit of a meme to begin with. Like, my internet was fine for the longest time. Right. It just really crapped out the final, like, two months of the monthly melee. It doesn't it's have your green screen. CP. It doesn't have your green screen, though, dude. So, it's, it's obviously no. not. <laughs> the pylon. <laughs> the pylon, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some Overwatch League, because uh, definitely lots to talk about here. Um, I mean, results, let's just start with taking a look at results. Um, you know, uh, I think the first day, eh, you know, I don't think the results were too surprising the first day. Uh, the shock fusion match was actually a, a really tight one. That was actually a really, really good. They seem to be pretty evenly matched in, in that, um, uh, in, in that series. The fusion, I feel like after that first series that they had, you know, just to, you know, when they, when they had that upset, they, they've kind of come back down to earth or at least teams are, I think have, uh, been able to scout them a bit more and and i think um you know they're, they're kind of settling somewhere in that middle middle area with where a lot of teams are uh but soul winning 4-0 not a surprise over mayhem and then uh outlaws beating dragons 4-0 not really a surprise there so day number one anything any comments kind of it's like starting that well one thing discussion? i want to say mm -hmm. just a general uh talking with players around the scene and coaches mm -hmm. analysts etc i think shock has definitely been outperforming where they're expected but they will fall back uh, down the earth, but what they want to note real quick on uh, Fusion is yeah. that Poco is one of the most disruptive players in the entire scene in terms of how people are approaching things here, because anyone I've talked to that's either a D.Va player or is an analyst that sort of look at things here, everyone is studying what he's doing with D.Va self-destruct, and mm -hmm. what's been going on there, that's something that's basically leveling up the rest of the league and also the rest of teams that are basically in the tier below looking to get into overwatch league so expect i would say expect poker to look less impressive over time just because everyone has noticed what he's been doing with his placements and he's getting studied so kudos yeah. to poco he, he's mm -hmm. brought up the level of play for the entire league or will uh, very shortly it's getting the yeah, mirror treatment basically it's exciting yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's exciting that one play we've been playing this game now for two years and just now are people realizing that we, most people just haven't been using diva bomb uh, optimally for so, so long. So it, it's, it, it's an encouraging sign that there's still a lot to learn about this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't we go into just day number two Thursday? I think that's the, the big, uh, we can, we can at least start some big discussions from there. So Houston outlaws for owing Dallas fuel, um, you know, this people have to remember that Houston actually lost the first two, you know, like uh, the previous week, and we're struggling actually coming into this series. There's definitely been a lot going on in social, uh, at least on Twitter, and I think even Flame at one point said that they they changed like their practice approach, and it should actually show this week. And I think we actually saw it. You know, how much of it was Houston versus Dallas? I mean, you can make an argument to it, but definitely Houston looked better this week, no question. And then Dallas just looked. I mean that first match they they just sat Taimu. I mean they benched Taimu for the first three games and I mean even even Harry for some of it. So, you know, 
you know, having them 4-0 is definitely disappointing because I was expecting a much closer match, you know, just because this is like one of the big rivalries, at least early on in the season. So seeing Dallas kind of experiment there was a bit surprising. And I kind of want to get your thoughts before kind of digging into even just experimentation just on the stage, you know, and, and what you guys think of that. So what do you think about just the matchup right now between Houston and Dallas and how they kind of rank up against each other? So- so I think for Dallas is that, and I sort of called this at the beginning of the season. I remember going on oversight with Thornton Monting going, look, Dallas of all teams is probably one of the ones that was most likely to have a big fall coming in. And it's not that there is a specific reason in the preseason to doubt them, but they're fighting against some pretty strong trends. And now certain things that people thought might've been an issue are becoming an issue. And what are those trends? What are those issues? Well, for starters is it's difficult to keep the same core playing at a level above everyone else for an incredibly long period of time, just because you sort of get into a mode where people have been there and done that. And even if players are hardworking, you're not getting the same level of, I want to dominate motivation that you might be getting from others. In many cases, who knows we're not directly on the ground, but these are general trends, right? The second thing is that it sort of goes against the previous point, but also hurts them is that part of what makes them so good historically is their old core where they had a system in terms of shot calls, the tanks and supports always knew where everyone was going to be. And now you've gone to a situation where they're swapping out key players on a regular basis and you're screwing with the chemistry that made them great. I think it's necessary to screw with that because substitutions are the way of the future in Overwatch League, but it was clearly going to be a bigger adjustment period for Dallas and others. And then finally, I would say on the player level, I think the thing that's very much hurting them right now is the fact that I don't really think Mickey has fully adapted to the current uh, style of diva i think it's been very rough for him you're not seeing the crazy diva bombs you'd see out of poco you're not seeing the higher end mechanical play that you'd see out of other divas like matt and you know sort of a testament to that is that you think about dallas later in the week one of the maps they looked really good on was where they benched mickey and put taimu and hog and they had more off-tank production there than i think they've had basically the entire season so far so dallas has multiple issues that are all sort of blooming at the same time yeah uh, Nuki, what do you think about this? Like, what, what do you think the issue is right now with Dallas, especially in this matchup that might have been exposed in this Houston series? Mm, I gonna, I gonna agree um, with the P there that mm. um, that it was, in my opinion, way too much shuffling, way too much uh, disrupting the core that made them so successful in Envy. Um, I think it's, I think it's important to to build around your core more before you start adding new players. And I mean, they had preparation time. Enough, I guess, or oh, not enough, but like they had plenty of preparation time for it. But it's always another thing to scrim and to have officials. So going the safer route first and then like adding players situational would maybe be the better thing. Yeah, I I, I also agree with uh, the broad strokes of what ZP said. And also what everyone, the, the conjecture that Reddit and everyone seems to be coming to, I think is also pretty accurate. This is a team that is not playing standard dive almost ever. When the other teams are running the tried and true Winston Diva, Tracer Genji, uh, Mercy, and Zen, Dallas has not done that. You've seen, and you're also right that we're seeing the players switch around in their roles just constantly. We've seen things like Taimu playing Winston, which he has done like a handful of times <laughs> before. You're yeah. seeing Mickey get a lot of playtime on Roadhog. His Roadhog did not impress no, no. for one single 
half of a map, much less the couple maps that he was actually playing Roadhog. On Junkertown, you'd think, in my opinion, you'd think Seagull would be like the obvious choice to play Bastion, given that he has, you know, this, he loves that character and he's played so much of it in the past. But then you see Harry Hook, you see Chips playing Bastion, and especially Chips did not look good on that character. So mm-hmm. it looks like they're trying all kinds of new things to see what works. Yeah. Uh, and they may not have the confidence to just play what they know uh is like the kind of standard but it's just been really weird and uh, i think you're right about particularly about the off tank role zp because if you think about their the signings that they had before overwatch league you've got seagull i think seagull is actually probably the 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 signing that makes the most sense for this team because he brings projectile dps he brings farah genji he brings junkrat uh but then you've got you've got uh xqc and we'll get to him a little bit later he has a very similar hero pool to Coco. You could argue he's a bit more of a Winston specialist, which is the role I thought we were going to see him in. You could argue, especially recently, now that Arisa is so good that he's potentially got like. There's no I question. don't really he's know. Better. I he's haven't... better at those characters than Coco. Yeah, yeah. I, no I haven't, particularly Arisa. Yeah. yeah. Like, you see, probably. I mean, I can't say for sure. I don't know Coco's schedule, but just given that we have very clear record of XQC's activities, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say XQC's a recent playtime. If it wasn't four times higher, if not significantly more than Coco, it I shows mean, too. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a better Arisa player, no, no question. But still, a lot of crossover on the main tank role, and Coco is an incredible main tank. And then you've got Costa, who also has a ton of crossover with Chips. You could argue that he's probably the better Mercy, maybe, but even that's still somewhat questionable. He's like flexing onto Moira, which is great. But my point is, the other those those signings don't really add new layers uh, to this team where that I, where I think they need it the most, which is the off tank role. You know, Mickey is still a good diva, but he's not. In the middle of a match, if Diva, if, if Winston Diva dive isn't working, he's not the right guy to be flexing onto Roadhog. He's not the guy, right guy to be flexing onto Winston if he needs to. And I really think that's their biggest hole right now on the roster. So one thing you brought up that I, th- I would like to touch on real quick is you sort of mentioned the idea that they're not having success when they run dive or, or the fact that they don't want to run it as much as sort of a uh, downside to fuel. I would just point out that historically when they were Envy, one of Envy's greatest strengths is that they didn't always have to play standard dive. They could run a lot of variations that other teams didn't have where, you know, I remember stretches where you would see Harry Hook go Reaper of all things when Reaper was Milkbox status in the league where, you know, it was, have you seen this hero? It's like, yeah, I have. It was Harry Hook playing it. So well, they- it, it's, it's interesting just because basically changeups that used to be good for them now necessarily aren't. Yeah, so I mean that—that's the thing that you know. This the whole theme of this discussion, which was in the past, they just never had the pieces to actually run a classic dive type type of composition. You know, they didn't have that projectile player. You know, so adding Seagull that kind of gives them that. But you know, they've developed. You know, they've kind of gotten rooted into what they were doing before, which was this kind of pseudo dive or something that was in between, which kind of seemed innovative at the time. But if you look at it now, it's actually not you know it was more of like they were just working with the pieces that they had and i think right now it is literally an issue with personnel like there are some maps that these good teams are are definitely flexing having to switch between off tanks because it's just better on some of these cloth maps or whatever and right now dallas can't do that like you know even Taimu, I think Taimu is even limited, you know, in, in the like what he can actually play whenever that needs to happen. You know, his hog is definitely better than anybody's like on that team. But then it's just like, okay, what happens if we have to, you know, kind of switch roles with some of the other guys? Then, 
he's kind of stuck there. And I think that's why they tried a not, you know, like Taimu not having Taimu in the lineup. And then that was even more disruptive, just not having him in there. So, well, well, yeah, one thing I think, mm-hmm. Go ahead. I think one thing that's also really hurting them right now is the part where meta wise, I don't think this is a great meta for them because I think yeah. Harry Hook is one of the most important players they have to be playing. And part of it is his raw mechanical skill that he brings, especially when he can play here like Lucio. But the other part is, is that from anyone I've heard that's had any experience with Envy over time, uh, now Fuel, is that basically Harry adds a lot in terms of comms and sort of just team synergy behind the scenes that isn't always apparent that they're kind of losing when he's not in there right now. So mm-hmm. when PTR changes go live and suddenly Mercy is reduced to being a more niche role and you're not seeing her oh. as often as you are right now, so assuming that stays true, that's going to be much, much better for Fuel because you're going to be able to put Harry in situations that he's more comfortable in overall and you will be able to get the benefits of sort of his intangibles behind the scenes more not, readily. Not to mention just all their support, I think, will be better. You know, yeah. if you get Anna back in the meta, we've got a good Mora player on their team. I mean, it's yep. there's there's a lot much more potential for them if Mercy, you know, ends up sitting in the meta. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a good point. Mo- Moira's coming in heavily, by the way. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. a lot of for a lot of maps that right now Mercy's just run on auto pick, uh Moira will be one of the main swap ups that you see, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in any map that has close quarters combat. I mean you already see it sometimes now, but it's going to be much more heavily prevalent once Mercy is sort of relegated to best friends with Ferris status again. Can't uh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Nuki, <laughs> what do you what do you think about just the general idea of you know, practicing even on these real, you know, these real OWL matches versus just in scrims, you know, because it's definitely difficult in Overwatch to do that where it's because, you know, if you don't practice during the week, even if you don't practice like a very standard, you know, type of uh, strategy like you're used to, you know, you're going to be a little bit rusty whenever it comes out, you know, getting on the stage. But this is like another level. This is like actually trying crazy things like you would normally do in practice and in scrims but actually doing it on the OWL stage like what do you think of that i think uh, surprise comps or like surprise picks are not too bad it mm-hmm. uh, depends on it depends on uh, which which play style you're trying to play with the team core um i want to add to something that Fistic said earlier mm-hmm. about the overlapping hero pools um of XQC and Coco and um Costa and Chips you said right mm-hmm. yeah um, I think it's not only that they have overlapping hero pools. I think the main thing that uh, why they picked them up is more of the playstyle issue um, because XQC is known to be a very aggressive tank, for example, and Coco is more like the reserve reactive tank. And I think as long as you fit those niche picks or like those crazy comps into the playstyle of the of the core that's playing at the moment. So with Coco a tiny bit slower, maybe like a more spammy comp and with XQC more aggressive comps, I think that definitely can work even yeah. if it's just busted out as a counter on the OWL stage. Can I just note, by the way, how incredibly amusing it is to me that you're describing their in-game play styles and you're correct, but it's also their out-of-game personalities as well. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's one of the most aggressive people you will meet. You know, very much, you know, here I am, you know, I'm in your face, etc. And Coco is just one of the most reserved, just uh, you know, nicest guys uh, you will ever meet. So, excuse me, he's not crazy. Uh, that crazy in person, though. I mean, he's 
But I mean, his 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 stream personality definitely is. But sure, sure. <laughs> but I mean, he's still loud in person. And yeah, speaking yeah. from someone who is also very loud in person, uh, I notice these things. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I don't think they can ever bench time him again, though. Like, I I hope I. Well, for one, I just personally hope that I never see that again. But did you see how bad effect was just shut down when timing was in the game? I mean, it was just actually ridiculous. Just teams were just able to just focus on him like super hard. So. Um, you know, ho hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll get things fixed really, really soon, but kind of moving on, don't, not spending too much time on that, uh, New York and Come on, we only spent 20 minutes on that one match. <laughs> Come on. I think we, we, we do another 20. <laughs> well, we've got another Dallas Guild match down below. So, uh, we've got a New York Excelsior going 3-0 on uh, the LA Valiant, which to be honest, I was expecting the Valiant to at least get one game off of this, which they almost did. But, um, you know, I think it just speaks to New York, just how good New York really is. And, you know, Valiant isn't in that category yet with, uh, you know, the three quote-unquote Korean teams. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what would you take from this match, guys? I mean, uh, I don't think that Valiant is too far away from the, from the Korean teams. Mm -hmm. Maybe Seoul, but... Um, in in a later match they had this week, they showed that they definitely can if the if if it's the right time. So I think they definitely have potential to get to get maps off them and even maybe matches soon. I think Valiant is pretty overrated right now. I think they they definitely have a good really? core, but. Look, strength of schedule is a thing. I'm, I'm sorry, like, yeah. they've beaten Shock, who I think is very much due to fall off for a variety of reasons that, hey, look, that might change when Sinatra and Super Hit 17, uh, etc. But I don't think Shock is going to continue to... Well, I think they're going to have a downturn, for sure. So you look at who Valiant has been. They've been Shock, they've been Fuel, who we just spent a lot of time talking about. They have not had a very good start of the season so far. And... Valiant has uh, had close games against, well, a very close set against the Spitfire, and New York was able to firmly beat them. This is all indicative of a team that is not a top four team, but a team that's going to be landing somewhere between like five and eight, which is, I think, the appropriate place to put them. I don't think, and we'll see where this goes, but I think as the season goes on, I see them struggling to beat the very top of the league. They'll certainly be in the playoff hunt towards like the five, six spot, but They've definitely been a bit overrated right now. I feel. I mean, you say that, but they wow. also went two I, ver two to three against uh, Spitfire. Yeah. Sure, and, and I, I mentioned that. Yeah, they, I mean, it, arguably they they could have won. They really could have won that yes. game. I mean, they had opportunities to to take you know to just uh, that extra point at the end. So it's just, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think the value looked pretty clear at four right now. But I mean, maybe they do have a drop off later. Outlaws obviously pushing that too, but. Um, I don't know. I've, I've been impressed by them so far. Like, I, I have think... a follow-up question for that, ZP. If you don't say that Valiant has potential to be the fourth or fifth slot, who do you think has the potential? No, I do think. I said, like, five to eight, and maybe they get into the fourth slot. It's just, it's one of those cases where they're in the same pack of other teams right now, where I look at Valiant, I think that Houston could definitely give them a strong challenge. You have teams like Fusion that are certainly going to give them a strong challenge. Boston has been hit or miss. Uh, I think Boston might still be one of the teams that sort of tails off a bit, but they've been a wild card and unpredictable. I don't think Valiant necessarily has an edge over any of these teams right now, and I think they were on the weaker end of the schedule early in the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I watch them play, though, I, I definitely like how the team's playing. You know, like, just from a high-level general standpoint, you know, I, I think there's some teams that's, that look cohesive, 
And maybe they still get, you know, just one-to-one, just just still outskilled, you know, by the other team. Like, I think that's what happened, honestly, with the New York versus LA. But, um, you know, the way they play, I feel like they they do play as a cohesive unit. And it's starting to become very, very clear in Overwatch League that you have to play as a cohesive unit. It's going to be super hard for people to carry now, you know, in this age of Overwatch. And I still think a lot of these teams depend on people going off. And they still are playing like that, and you're starting to see less results from teams like that do that. Mayhem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Gladiators versus Fusion. This is a close one too. Um, well, I, I think we didn't. You know, Gladiators taking it three two. Gladiators is like this team, and what's their record now? Let me see. They're like the Gladiators are they two and two. Okay, they're two and two. Okay, I thought maybe they were like for some reason three and one. But Gladiators have been in a lot of close series. I feel like so. Um, yeah, what do you guys take from the Gladiators right now? We talked a little bit about Fusion earlier. This team is quickly becoming one of my favorites to watch. Uh, I think they're just a really exciting team in general. <laughs> uh, particularly on the support in the support role, I'm absolutely loving seeing Shaz just actually dominate on Zenyatta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hydration is one of the most ec- electric DPS players in the entire league. I mean, he's crazy good on Farah, but I think ultimately this guy on Doomfist is going to be a force to be reckoned with. He's absolutely insane. He's underrated, and then like sure. yeah. They have a very small roster compared to most teams. They've only got 7 players. But I think it was Doa or I can't remember. One of the commentators said it really well during the the cast which was your six, your seventh man is sure for in this case. And they, they do actually have him in that role. He's yeah. not playing most maps. He is coming off the bench. But talk about a bench player that can bring such an X factor in just a number of different roles. Um, so I, I think this this team is quickly gaining a lot of fans, and I'm one of them for sure. I think Gladiators is also another case where their schedule so far has sort of dictated where they've Mm -hmm. been. I think that the upcoming week three is going to be sort of the difference maker of can this team compete for the lower half of the playoff slots or are they just going to be sort of the gatekeepers of the teams that are absolutely not going to go to the playoffs because we were just talking about Valiant. Well, we get the Battle of LA to start out week three, Gladiators v. Valiant. So excited that, by the way. Yeah, that (laughs) is the headline match of Wednesday. And then later in the week, they for the uh, headline match of Saturday, they're taking on the Outlaws. Given the relative strength of these teams, this is going to be very good insight as to where yep. Gladiators are. Because if Gladiators goes into the week and they end up leaving the week as 0-8, well, I think you have to pretty much downgrade your stock on them pretty heavily. Even though it is a long season, and because they have seven players, they're probably one of the most uh, teams with potential to be upgraded by midseason pickups. I still think it's going to be pretty rough for Gladiators to break into that playoff position if they are firmly, significantly behind teams like Valiant and Outlaws. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got the day three, which was uh, started off with Soul just continuing rolling like they, they always have, following uh, Boston Uprising. Um, and then we have the Battle of the Basement, which was the Florida Mayhem versus Shanghai Dragon. And Florida 4 O's Shanghai. And quite honestly, they look good during that too. So, what does that say about Shanghai and and how far off they are? You know, not only being at the bottom of the league, but I think they're just very, very far off, which caused a lot of questions too in the community, which we'll get to I think in the news section here. But um, yeah, I mean, thoughts on Shanghai, you know, and I mean even Florida too, if you want to talk about Florida at this this case. But um, well, yeah, worst team in the, in the league right now. 
I think it was incredibly important that Florida win the McDonald's Invitational of Red and Yellow yeah. versus uh, Yellow and Red. Uh, there's, there's sponsorship opportunities for days there, McDonald's. Please just get one of these two teams. They, they have stolen your colors. Uh, but that aside, I mean, I, it's kind of funny. Florida came in there sort of with a lot of swagger. They're having fun with it. But I still feel like that was one of the highest pressure matches they could ever be in, in the <laughs> sense that it, it maybe it was all fun in games and they won map one. There wasn't a whole lot of pressure. But if they had lost map one, that that puts them in a PR position that no player wants to be in, even if they tell you they're blocking it out. So it sort of shows the Florida that there is a bottom to their performance and they won't go below a certain level right now. Shanghai, though, I, I mean, where to begin? Everything from mechanics on certain players to alt economy to just changes in who's playing what on a positional level, uh, Shanghai's a mess. Definitely agree with that. Like, it would have been super bad for Florida to even drop a map against them. You just, at the moment, you just don't want to be worse than Shanghai in, in any regard. It's so, as, as cruel as it sounds. Yeah, of course, yeah. Shanghai. They got to yeah. look towards the, the, the signing period. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, it's going to take more than signing period, I think, but it's, yeah, they, they can only go up from where they are. And I think Florida looked looser too. They came out obviously walking, you know, just <laughs> the funny walk and the whole dance thing. But I think that just helped them kind of loosen up a bit. You know, there's been just so much, so much talk about them too. So uh, it was good to see them having some fun and, you know, winning is fun, the whole thing <laughs> with that. Um, all right, the la third match on this day, Spitfire versus Fuel. And this was a completely different Fuel. This was not the same Fuel that, that played the Outlaws, um, you know, earlier in the week. So this Fuel was more of just, you know, what they had, played before or at least you know like what we're used to seeing time move back in the lineup and you know they didn't quite you know just quite frankly they look like a different team i mean they definitely played a lot better it was pretty close actually um i don't know if they ever i, I could feel like they were going to win this series but definitely i could have seen it going to 2-2 and maybe you know like spitfire just winning 3-2 uh over just this 3-1 result um anything you guys saw see here i mean this is the first time we're talking about spitfire too so you can uh, you even add something about spitfire well, I do think it was pretty winnable for Fuel. Uh, what I would kind of note here is that Fuel obviously got pretty wrecked on Horizon, but that sort of came down to mm -hmm. one fight in my mind where Harry Hook was on Zen and they had actually outmaneuvered the Spitfire pretty well in getting onto the point. Like they had gone onto the point, but Spitfire didn't really catch them in time. And what happens? Harry, they had Valkyrie up as well, but Harry Hook got sniped in the back while he was setting up. And what sort of happened is that that lets Spitfire turn that situation way more their advantage because suddenly Chips has to activate Valkyrie, dive to the middle of nowhere to bring up Harry, and then Spitfire just sort of collapses on fuel. They lose what they had on first, and they're not really able to make much more of their attack. So I actually think it could have went the other way, but across the board, the big difference here is that even if Harry had some issues on Zen over the course of it, you just saw a difference in team cohesion there. And I think it probably just speaks to the idea that in the NV core, Taimu and Harry have been fixtures beyond what you just see of their actual gameplay because it was a loss, but it wasn't a stomping. They looked very competitive at points. And I think, you know, a fight or two goes a different way. Maybe they're able to take it. So it sort of, I think, shows a floor where the fuel should not go below where they know look if we play these players we still we still have some of our old envy magic we just haven't harnessed well, they, it yet well they need playmakers you know and like if you sit time move that's one of their playmakers 
And that's like what their team relies on right now. And that's kind of getting back to what I was saying. Like when teams can just focus on effect, who is their biggest playmaker, if they just focus on him and shut him down, they can't do anything. Because the rest of the guys are there to support those two guys. And that's how I look at it. And, but, um, it, you know, it, it's, it, if you have to have those guys in there, like making plays. I mean, the problem is, though, when you're saying that, is that you think about their rotations, how they go. And right. if you don't have Taimu on off tank, yep. you have Taimu on DPS. But you're kind of saying, you're sort of indirectly throwing shade on Seagull there, saying, well, Seagull isn't enough of a playmaker. No, Seagull, which, too. Seagull is really, the, probably like a th the third playmaker on their team, too. But he's not enough, uh, he's not enough to be like the number two guy, though, like in my opinion. But I mean, the thing is, normally when he's been used, he has been put in that DPS role. And if time moves in at the same time, it's sort of replacing Mickey, where who knows? Maybe that is the way to go because they did look best when they triple DPS, ran yeah. that setup of yeah, time on off tank. Yeah. Well, just time on off tank and uh, it was Seagull basically in on triple DPS. Yeah, I mean, it's off tank, but yeah. the way he plays it is basically like DPS. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Last day, we've got Spitfire versus Valiant. That was another, I mean, Spitfire had a really really uh con you know just competitive week you know having two teams which were you know uh, some people would say were the 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 tier that's like right below them so you know they they proved that they deserved to be in that top three and they ended up three twoing uh the la valiant uh la valiant looked i mean this is one series that they could have taken for sure and they looked really really good here um yeah any any notables like any any play like I know, I mean, just Profit and Bird. I mean, Profit and Bergen played great in this series. I particularly remember that. But um, anything else to kind of stand out to you guys? Mm, I think the one thing that I am loving watching this uh, Valiant team play is uh, it, they aren't pulling out the craziest strategies you've mm -hmm. ever seen. In fact, it's pretty straightforward. It's usually, usually their big wins entail soon going around, going for a flanking angle, and really tight coordination between the tanks and soon. Mm -hmm. So yep. the dive is just happening consistently and very well organized over and over and over again. And that's the thing that stood out to me about this team is just time and time again, you're seeing soon take these really long flanks uh, and nothing crazy. They all just move in together all at once. You know, soon is getting the right sticks and uh, it's just going really well for them. So, um, you know, I was actually one of the few people that well, not, it's not like people were going into Overwatch League saying Valiant is going to be like dominant, but I was one of the people that was like, mm, you know, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to be quite as good as everyone thought. And I've had to eat my words uh, because they're right now they're pretty much like below the below the Korean teams. They're 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 looking really good. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to uh, dethrone them anytime soon. Well, I think this week is just going to be the yeah. test of that, like I was yeah. saying, where, you know, I think there's valid concerns about their strength of schedule uh, heading into this. And now week three is sort of valiant versus very likely playoff rivals. So we sort of get to see them tested in that setup. I will note one thing, though, if like when players get to the habit of doing like crazy long flanks, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is that <laughs> you do have to be prepared to swap that up because... Teams do adapt coaching-wise. They go, all right, this is what's going to happen, etc. And you've seen like the two players I can think of that sort of got to that habit have had a lot of success for a while and then eventually got slammed down would be Grim Reality and Harblue. Harblue, the most uh, notable, where Harblue uh, back in the day had moments where he would just kill a team by himself because <laughs> Crazy people hooks, weren't yeah. punishing this yeah. hog that got away with somehow sneaking to your backline as Roadhog. He's not the stealthiest dude. And 
eventually teams got to a point where the internal call would be, oh, hard blue, hard blue, even when they're not playing against hard blue, because everyone knew that that meant that hard blue. There was a <laughs> dude. They were playing uh, against them. That's awesome. Yes. He's pulling a hard blue, guys. That's yes, funny. that was the terminology. Because everyone knew, oh, he's playing a hard blue. It's a hog a mile behind you trying to pick shit off. Right, right. So you had that. And then you had Grim Reality, where Grim had a time where on 76, uh, it was very frustrating from the casting point of view because it didn't work out all that often where he would just go on these like crazy long soldier flanks as like grim stop don't do this you need to yeah, stop the days of that are and, over i yeah. mean like you can't do that nowadays um but yeah you know a last maybe point about valiant i think that envy and fate have, have just been surprises for me and i mean i i had high hopes of silk thread and i think silk thread is living up to you know i think what the valiant were hoping that he would be you know for this team too so um just a lot of people i think that are you know playing better than a lot of people expected and it's, it's great it's awesome to see uh, all right, finishing this out, New York, Celsius, Forrowing, Gladiators. Um, you know, not much to say there. New York, I think uh, New York in the the uh, Soul match, I think is going to be very awesome to watch because New York has just been stomping people. So I, you know, I expect an incredibly competitive match between those two and it'll really, really um, cement who's the, the best right now. Uh, and finishing things off, Shock versus Uprising. I think these two teams are very evenly matched too. Shock getting the better end of this one. Um, but you know, I think Uprising looked like they could have, they were right there too. So these teams look even to me, actually. Yeah, it was definitely pretty close yeah, uh, with way. those two. Mm -hmm. Could have gone either way in the last map, definitely. Yeah, I think one thing, and this is content I've heard from others as well, is that I think a sort of problem for Uprising going forward is that people are sort of catching on to the idea that maybe Striker is a little bit more variable of a player where, you know, who knows why? Uh, I mean, there's many reasons as to why a player can sort of have really good days, really bad days, but that's sort of problematic for Boston if you go into a match and you don't quite know what Striker you're going to get. So that, that's something yeah. I'd probably keep an eye on. All right, let's let's take a look at week three now. We've kind of alluded to it. Let's make some predictions here, or and maybe some matches that we're just really excited to see. Uh, day one, the LA matchup, right? I mean, I think that's the biggest rivalry type of, uh, uh, or just who's the king of LA, basically. The others, mm -hmm. I don't think, are going to be that interesting. But I don't know if you guys see any that dynamic that might be cool between the the Spitfire and Shock and Dynasty Dragons. No, I mean it's a, it's a, it's a moment for for shock if they can even take a map. I think this boats well. Um, they have some momentum right now. ZP thinks it's all going to crash and burn, but can they keep it going? We're about to find out. I well, think. I, I, the Spitfire they're going to win the air war and then some again. Shock. Let's just be realistic. And yeah. I'm making bad World War II plane puns, but I am actually in a sort of macabre way uh, interested in Dynasty versus Dragons, just because. So a lot of the players on Soul Dynasty, historically, if you look to how they handled things like Overwatch, World Cup, the players that were represented there and otherwise, you know, they, they kind of, like all Tigers, they, they like playing with their food from time to time, but they've sort of stayed away from that in Owl mostly so far. But this is going to be a real test of sort of how far can you push maybe trolling another team like i just think dynasty there's a so you're saying the bench the bench will be out there and still win 4-0 I mean, are we gonna see it again yeah i'm oh, saying God. like are we gonna be seeing symmetra every map type oh of man like, the bm oh no no that I, I wonder if they I, will wow okay i don't actually think they're gonna do it but they're like i said there's a chance because it's such a powerful mismatch that 
if Seoul wants to treat it as a have fun day, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of interesting for a league perspective too. If you have a team that's uh, effectively, you know, being the Harlem Globetrotters and playing to the Washington Generals, do you do anything as a league, or you just sit there and be all right? This is happening. Uh, Torb every match. I mean, I, can, I, I, can I guess just, we'll see. I can just see the Chinese players just getting pissed off after every one of Shanghai Dragons, and it's gonna be. It's going to be vengeance, like in I don't oh, know, season guys. two or three, man. It's going to be crazy. All right, Thursday. Uh, let's see. We've got Boston versus London. Okay, it's kind of similar, I think, to the to the Shock versus London because we were talking about it. And then New York versus Fusion. I see a 4-0 there. I, I just don't see New York losing much there. And then Outlaw Mayhem. This is a pretty, pretty boring day, I think, in terms of like, yeah, you're right. games. Uh, yeah. I do think it's a sort of prove it like mayhem's gonna have multiple prove it moments to show that the beginning of their season was i i think it's on both sides but i think for Mayhem particularly it's sort of well the beginning of our season we could play better than this we could sort of show flashes of the old misfits core i think on paper it should be pretty easy for the outlaws but it's also a test for the outlaws as well where the outlaws need to prove that they could be consistent where i've always kind of thought when you're evaluating teams something a mark of a truly great team that is going to contest the very top is that they don't screw around in the sense of letting teams that are way under them make it close. They put the foot on the throat and they stomp them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think for Outlaws, if Outlaws sort of squeaks a win here, it's 3-1, but it's a close 3-1, it doesn't necessarily look good for Outlaws. So I think the goal here, if you're Mayhem, of course, is you want to win the game and sort of make a statement. If you're Outlaws, you're out to not just win, but dominate hard and sort of prove, look... We are in that upper echelon. We could do this to Florida and just think about what we could do when we get rematches against teams we've lost against or we get to play against some of the very top of the league. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, Friday, we got this is the one, man. Seoul versus New York. I, man, if you want to watch great Overwatch or maybe even how Overwatch is supposed to be played, kind of like we talked about when you know Dynasty played Fuel in that first week, this is the match to watch, man. And so uh, get to see some of the best players in the world going at each other. Any predictions? Do you guys think Seoul is just going to take this, continue rolling, or do you? Does anybody think that New York will upset them? I'm on record saying New York. Uh, yeah. Another podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Me too. Really? Yeah, I'm saying it too. Uh oh. Yeah. Yep. I I want to I want to believe I want to believe in New York really like, but even the dab. Not, <laughs> yes. not necessarily. It it yeah. depends. Um, I think it's going to be close. I definitely give them the two two, but I don't want to predict how it will end. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Seoul handles things in terms of who they play, because obviously they've had a little bit of flexibility in swapping in people uh, that might not necessarily be a team. But in this case, I think we're going to see the sort of true form of Seoul. I don't think they're going to mess around roster wise pretty much at all. Uh, so I mean, it should be definitely one of the premier matches of the entirety of stage one. Yeah. Seoul has a tendency to start slow, though. So I mean, if they if they give up uh, an actual map to New York early, you know, New York's not the type that you know just shuts down like after, you know in games three and four, like we've seen with some of the you know the other you know uh, people that are trying to contend. So I mean, they're they basically can find the crusher hopes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, I'm open. I'm open. New York. And we see some shakeup in the top there. Uh, then we got Dragons for Fusion. I think we <laughs> can predict that one. And then I think this is a real test for the fuel. As crazy as it's. Oh yeah. Actually oh, yeah. playing the show. the next two actually they're playing the shock and then playing Boston. If they don't win both of those, I mean, I, you know, I, they could win three, two, three, and whatever. If they don't win, if they get upset by one of these teams, then 
I mean, I, I don't know if we can even say anything about the fuel anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. nervous. I'm actually <laughs> I'm going to be nervous during those games just because of how important it is for fuel to take these wins. I mean, they're they're basically playing two 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 teams in the bottom third of the league. Uh, everyone expected Dallas to be in the top third or you know top four uh, teams in the league. If they aren't able to take the wins here, that is a horrible sign. I mean, you got to imagine, we already know morale is not great on the team. Uh, so these these are just such incredibly important matches. Of course, I think they're going to win. Of course, I think Fuel mm, the still has the edge in mm -hmm. these matches. Uh, but I, <laughs> I know, just personally, I'm going to be nervous as hell watching those. So I haven't seen anyone tweet this, but this is something people should probably get on board if Fuel loses these games. You might as well change Burn Blue to Burned Out because that is... It's not going to be pretty for them if they don't win these two. Like, it's a bad omen. They need to win both matches. Yep, agreed. All right. Uh, yeah, anything else at the end of this? Outlaws, Gladiators? I think that'll be a pretty, pretty good one to watch. Um, you know, Mayhem again. You know, if they could have a good showing against Valiant too, you know, maybe... Maybe push them to three two or something like that. that. That would definitely be something that the mayhem needs too. But um, but Outlaws Gladiators, I think, will be a, a proving point, you know, for either of the teams. To be honest, like I think whoever wins that one will, will be sitting in that maybe five spot, pretty, um, you know, prettily. I guess lack of a better word. Mm. Yeah, Nuka, who do you think wins between that those two? Uh, between Gladiators and Houston. Yeah. Hmm. I think if Houston continues like they did this week, it's definitely possible that they that they're gonna win. But I, I want to give it to LA actually. Wow. Okay. Like really? I, have, I, have, I have a oh. tiny bit more faith. In it. Interesting. All right. Oh, the cool. face facepalming me. Don't face. <laughs> uh, I have the facepalm. I, I think. <laughs> I think it's the European <laughs> bias. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, totally I just, I just want to believe in my favorite backline. I just want to believe. <laughs> I, totally. I think in that regards to that, I mean, obviously it would be a big boon for the Gladiators, but sort of going previous points, I think they're one of the teams that sort of do the drop-off uh, quite a bit as they play with tougher teams, and I think this is the week for the Outlaws that they have to be sort of in prove-it-we're-top-team mode, and mm -hmm. if they don't beat both the Mayhem and Gladiators, they can't really look at themselves in the mirror and say, like, yeah, we're, we're at that level right now, I think... It would be a pretty big disaster for the Outlaws if they lost to Mayhem or Gladiators, yeah. given strength on paper and their goals going forward. So, uh, I mean, we'll see. It's not impossible, but I think if Outlaws can channel the same level of play that they were able to do in Week 2, I think they'll be fine in Week 3. I mean, the biggest issue with the Outlaws is consistency. You know, like we've seen how mm -hmm. they can play when they play really, really great, but then we can all, we've can we also seen the opposite, where it's just like, you know, they... they they kind of play maybe i don't know if it's a, uh, an issue of playing to their competition because they they crush you know whenever they played some of the bad teams but still like right now we don't see the same outlaws team like each and every week so hopefully we will and um i don't know it'll be interesting to also see when that patch comes out too like what happens to all these teams <laughs> gonna be never forget outlaws plays against dynasty in week four and we get to have all the uh Rujay Hong versus Jake stuff come to light once oh more. Oh man! Where, where, where there's a, there's oh, a yeah. debate the yeah. is like, is he trolling? Does he actually see Jake as this? Like, is he trolling? Like, watching people debate both sides of that to me is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Let's see. Next thing we got on the agenda here. Uh, just real quick news. Just I mean, we're just gonna go through a bunch of news, but the patch being. Um, one of the patches, or at least the Blizzard World patch, came out today. So you can go and play Blizzard World now. 
Uh, it's, is that on the ladder? It, it is, right? Is, is it one in no, the ladder rotation? Ladder. Not yet, not yet. Just quick play. Not right? on ranked. Yeah, not in ranked quite yet. Uh, so you can maybe check it out on quick play or custom games or whatever. But um, also, the skins are out too. So this is kind of – this is different because it's not – it's it's kind of an event, but it's not an event. It, it, it's kind of this pseudo thing, but it, it, from a skin standpoint, it's definitely like a full out event because we saw previews of this, the skins in the past, you know, like, like months ago. So we're finally going to get a chance to get some of these skins, and man, some of them are amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to have to try to get some loot boxes to get some of them. Um, but be wary because I know a lot of people bought a ton of loot boxes today, and they got a bunch of old skins <laughs> in them. So it's it's mixed in you know like obviously the the blizzard world ones aren't quite as heavy i think as like maybe some of the previous events i i don't know if that's the case or not but it seems to be like what i've heard from people that they've been getting like you know a little bit more old skins than than the new skins so be on the lookout um, for that i mean it's not the event so they yeah. don't have these event loot boxes where right. you get at least one right. item of the event exactly so you have to gamble a tiny bit more of the loot boxes but i but i think the um the new skins are really nice i, I like yeah. almost all of them especially yeah. like a zaya skin that you can actually use <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man that Roadhog actually... and widow man those are good yeah, but I think that Nuki actually brings up a really good point. I was about yeah. to say that Nova skin is absolutely the best, and I think if you compare it to Vacuum, it is. But if you think about the skins compared to other options, <laughs> Zarya skins have historically not been that great. They, mm -hmm. Most Zarya players look at the skins and they go, ugh, it's just, they're not a big fan of it. So the Barbarian skin, it, the difference between the Barbarian skin and the other skins Relative. is gigantic, yeah, whereas... Yeah. Nova versus some of the others, it's really good and probably the best Nova or Widowmaker skin, but not to the degree that the new Zarya skin is the best Zarya yeah. skin. So, uh, yeah, give it to Zarya. Yeah, they, there's always been more focus on Zarya's, I feel like, her emotes, you know, and things like that. <laughs> not so much her skins. Her emotes have been great, though. Like, yeah. Bitch more than you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, just so remember. <laughs> yeah, Diva. A reminder too that this patch doesn't have the Mercy and Junkrat updates. Uh, but Jeff Kaplan, <laughs> Jeff Kaplan did say in the forums that you know he hinted at, or didn't really hint, but he suspects that they the balance changes will be coming out soon after. So praise the Lord. Yeah, probably a week or two. I wouldn't be surprised if that it, it comes out really quickly. And um, I hope for it's so bad. Yeah. I think everybody like the, does the, the guys, point. the guys are having so much fun in scrims on PTR. We just want to have the meta to change. <laughs> Banish the demon to the depths where she belongs. Oh, where man. look, no, like, look, don't banish been, her. Don't kill her. That banish I'm her. I'm never a fan of just <laughs> literally okay stepping on her like that, like to that. You know, I, I am a fan aside from play fair. Here's why, and he, this it comes down to a viewability and a playability standpoint. Mercy relative to other support heroes does not have the mechanical variability that you see sure. nor is her positioning as interested as others where i'll give you an example obviously mechanical variability anna has all sorts of like crazy plays that you don't always see but you can see with how bionade sleep dart and her main mechanic works that's easy what people don't realize on an intuitive level of points is how much more exciting Zenyatta is by comparison, and it doesn't even relate to the, his primary attack. It relates to the positioning game behind Zenyatta, even though his heal is essentially 100% throughput like Mercy's, is that when you go on a Zen, you are guaranteed a life or death engagement where either A, you're going to force out a transcendence, which forces the fight, or B, you're going to kill the Zenyatta immediately. Or C, the Zenyatta is going to kill the person who dives in on him. You, the, the engagement you're going to get there from 
the people okay. diving on the Zen <laughs> right. to the people playing the Zen is always sublime. You don't get the mini game with Mercy of we're diving on the Mercy. She still has hundred percent heal. She's shifting back I, and forth. And yes, there's skill in the positioning of a Mercy as seen by some of the supports that don't play her very well. But none of the skill and mercy is as entertaining or variable as every other support in the game. So mercy being relegated to more of a niche role where she sort of has this teamwork with Farah is so much healthier for the game on a watchability standpoint. I, I agree with that. So, I mean, just go back to the drawing board with her. I mean, obviously you can't change her left click, but, you know, everything else, you know, definitely... Definitely take a look at it again, or left or right click, or obviously you can't change. But E, you know, just all of her abilities again. I think they're going to have to relook at everything again. And resurrect is always going to be a topic there. But we'll we'll have to see it because in the meantime, she is literally not going to be played with given how much she's going to be nerfed here. She'll so. be played with Farah. She is yeah. still played with. Okay, Farrah. all right. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, still with Farah. Still yeah, that's cool. All right, let's get to the juicy topic, which is the um, XQC suspension. So for those of you. Uh, that might have been not been keeping up. Uh, XQC got suspended for uh, the rest of stage one, and was fined two thousand dollars for his comments pertaining to uh, Muma on his stream. Uh, I forget how many days ago it is now. It's, it's almost like a week ago now, right? Um, but uh, I don't really want to get into you know what the comments were, but they're definitely inappropriate. It, it stemmed from obviously the outlaws beating the fuel, and Muma had a few words too, like in his in his speech, which were you know thrown throwing some you know trash talk over at at the uh, you know the fuel and um particularly <laughs> just poking xqc so you know there's a little bit of that banter which is fine you know that kind of banter is fine but you know xqc i think said a few things that you just can't say and um you know obviously a lot of people commented on it and the result was you know the, uh, the actually the dallas fuel instigated this penalty it wasn't actually the owl you know uh, you're jumping in and you know instilling this penalty so Lots of talk about just, you know, XUC, just, you know, he's obviously been a lot of uh, the point of a lot of discussion recently. And, um, you know, this is obviously talking about Dallas Field, who's struggling too, and, you know, is it playing into that? Um, so I don't know. Where do we start? Where do you guys want to start in terms of this? Um, I, how about the action? Do you think the, do you think the penalty was fair for XUC? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> And, and you know, to be honest, I actually thought it was going to be less like that. I mean, I, I think that what ended up happening was completely fair. And, and, and I was, you know, I, I was definitely, you know, happy about it. But I actually was suspecting he would only get banned for like a week, you know, like two games. And then that'd be that'd be it. So it was, you know, I think it, it is a statement that, you know, they banned the rest of stage one and, and kind of making a statement that, you know, this type of behavior will not be tolerated at all. And. I'm sure there's kind of a strike system too, right? So, you know, XCC you know, definitely has a, a pretty major strike with this one. Um, so, I think uh, it's the go. You go first. Okay, I was gonna say I just personally think like, look, I've talked with XCC in the past. I don't think he is necessarily a hateful or malicious individual or anything like that. But I do think that look in the world we live in, especially when you are a public figure, which Felix is. There are things you can say and things you can't say, and there's a realm which you should never come close to. And unfortunately, in the midst of a very long stream and uh, a very emotional loss that where even though he wasn't playing, I mean, the guy takes the game very seriously. He doesn't have the filters in place to stop him from getting close to the realm in which no one should walk. 
and he did cross a line and the punishment was just, and it's something where if he's going to continue the stream, he really has to watch out what he's doing and make sure he doesn't cross a line that necessitates action by what he said. He just, you can't go near it. And it's simple as that. Mm -hmm. I definitely think the, the punishment that Blizzard had or like the Overwatch League itself had is definitely, um, definitely reasonable. I think the the added punishment for Dallas is more like a like a long term fix for him, just to prepare him to help him like get get the social media stuff better sorted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Then so uh, this whole uh, not this exact topic, but we there it, it was a pretty common uh, discussion point. I want to say a couple weeks before Overwatch League uh, launched, and we talked about it on the show. This whole notion of do we need to hold players to a super high standard uh, because they have so much influence and so many people look up to them. And I, I want to apologize because I feel like I bungled my response to that. I had some time to think about like how I phrased things and how I said things. And um, I, I think this is an opportunity to kind of resurface how I feel on the topic. Uh, I don't think we should hold players to an ungodly high standard because they are players and because they have influence. I think we should hold them to a standard that we hold every other human to. It's that simple. XUC went over the line for what anyone should say. It's not because he's a player. It's not because he's in this position where he has a big reach. It's because he's a human and humans should treat humans with respect. It's, it's really that simple. Uh, so I think this was a, a a uh, good decision to uh, to reprimand him in, in some way here. Um, I, I wonder what's going on on the Dallas side. They, they really need to rein this guy in. I mean, just just the other night, um, you know, a couple days after this this happened, he's kind of going ham on Twitter, like really, really hyper aggressively. Um, I mean, he didn't say anything terrible that time, but it seems like he is just mentally not in a good spot right now, uh, mm -hmm. and and is lashing out and. I, I know a lot of the guys on the Dallas team. Um, they have a great player manager. Hastro is, is a really great guy. I'm sure he's reached out to him and talked to him personally. I'm confident that they're going to figure out what how to, how to move past this. Uh, but yeah, he definitely seems a little bit unhinged right now. And I would go so far as to say I feel like this might be impacting the entire team. Like this, this, this yeah. is definitely not helping the morale to have this whole situation well, going on. It definitely is affecting the team, given that he was picked up so that he would play Winston and Orissa, and now they don't have him. So, I mean, just that plain fact is, is you know, detrimental to the team. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, just what happened there was most... It was a clear case of he broke the rules, he gets penalized. I mean, that that's just in whatever contracts they signed, you know, in rule books, or just player behavior, you know, just the, the player rule books or whatever that they they went over right like they they all know how they're supposed to behave so um for me you know i think i agree with all those things ben but i just think that you know it's one of those things where for me i just don't see xqc being a professional overwatch player and, and that's nothing to do with like how skilled he is he's actually a very good player and you know based on just pure skill he deserves yeah he absolutely deserves to be in the um, overwatch league but i just see him as like you know, just let's just say an artist or, or streamer or whatever. And I see more of like, you know, an ice Poseidon type of person, you know, like, and they are 
they're supposed to be, you know, or they're, they're best. Tyler one is the, or, or Tyler uh, one. The it, most yeah. Relevant example. Yeah, okay. Tyler one. Sure. And the community controversy. Tyler yeah. one is who you got to go for here. Yeah. Just, and, and I think, you know, he's like not flourishing because of the restrictions that even the Overwatch league puts on him. So I, mm. I mean, I honestly, and, and you know, I have met Felix like one time at, at BlizzCon and he was, he's a really nice, he's not like that. And, you know, at all, like, like this, this, what you see on stream and even on, on social media in person, like he's a super chill, nice guy. But, um, you know, I just honestly think that what's, what I would think is best for him. And, and even just maybe even the league too, is just for him to just go stream. He could probably, he's going to be super successful as a streamer, you know, and, and he wouldn't be, you know, have to, have to like work within these, these rules, you know, that, that kind of keep him you know, a bit like, um, you know, uh, nuzzled, muzzled, you know? So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking that, um, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if that's going through his head at all. I don't know, but you know, that's something I think I would consider. I don't know if these contracts, you can even get out of them, even if you wanted to, you know? So I think, um, can the teams come up to a, can they co come up with some kind of agreement with players to actually exit contracts? I, I don't, I don't even know if that's ever been brought up. Did you guys even know? I, I personally don't have to, I, yeah, I don't know how that stuff yeah, works. Yeah, so one thing I will say though is that I and this sort of goes back to there's actually a post about Fisher saying, you know, he's not gonna stream anymore, et cetera, is that I don't think it is good for a competitive product to spend a lot of time streaming, period. And this is an XQC specific mm -hmm. thing. I think yeah. it is across the board. I think every player has an internal burnout meter. I think streaming adds to that burnout meter without getting a whole lot in you know, worthwhile practice because obviously if you're spending time chatting with your stream, if you're worried about how your play is perceived on stream, you're not applying that same level of match level focus training that you need to do. And I think just even everything else aside, even if there weren't all these other things that have come up, I just don't think it's good for a player in the long term for their on-field product to try to stream eight, 12 hours a day on top of a normal practice and skill schedule i mean even if you have the will and the just insatiable desire to pull that off something will give and you know the top everything off i just don't think it's gonna lead to a great result in play in the long time i think you know if you're a professional player you should have you know maybe a little bit of time streaming here and there but it can't be to that same degree and that doesn't just go for xqc it goes for other players of the scene that have log streaming times as well so mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of it's stuff at play it's just a happiness factor too, you know, like that, yeah. I can just see it, you know, in, in people whenever they're in, in a position or in a situation where they just really shouldn't be there, you know, and just for their mental, you know, um, sanity. So I, I feel like he's been, you know, he's clearly not been happy for weeks now, you know, and, and this is even before all this happened. I mean, he said, and there were a few times he, he alluded at being debated, you know, like with uh, this whole thing and it's not exactly what he expected it to be and, and things like that. So, um, I don't know if I can just like generalize it to stream. I mean, I definitely, it does affect practice like ZP, but you know, we've seen some stream like Seagull, for instance, right? He's a big streamer too, but he fits this whole OWL thing better, you know, than, you know, XQC does. It's definitely OWL better, but I would just, as a quick follow up to that, I would just simply mm -hmm. say that. I would, for all the reasons I mentioned in the stream stuff before, is that I think it's very much arguable that Seagull, you know, he's struck an admirable balance between streaming and being a pro player, but I don't know if he's hit the levels of, you know, excellence in a, on the pro player sense that he 
potentially would have been able to hit if he didn't have to worry about maintaining his stream. And I think in part, that's probably why we've seen him stream a lot less recently because he sort of realizes that and wants to perform well as a competitive player. So if you think about, well, gee, why isn't Seagull Street as much? I think he's stated, you know, look, OWL. It's difficult to do that. I think the more you do streaming, the less you can sort of hit those high heights. I definitely agree with most of what you guys are saying, but I don't think that streaming is necessarily like only a bad thing. Um, most of the guys that play competitively use the stream also not only for like added stress or um or something like that. It's also a way that you engage, can engage with your community and receive support. So if you have if you have a schedule around it, let's say you don't stream like after practice like for eight hours so, but yeah. you just do like every other day you stream for a few hours you interact a tiny bit with your community and you actually gain the support and confidence that your community gives you it can definitely help you in just releasing stress rather than adding to the stress factor that's it we mentioned yeah but this in this particular case actually streaming opens up more stress to you possibly <laughs> and I, I think when it gets to this kind of level too like the xqc and even seagull level I mean, they make a ton of money every time they turn their stream on. So it, it does become more of a, you know, decision. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you stream when you don't want to stream, you know, where I think in the instance of all you want to do is engage with your community, you know, you would just stream when you're in that mm -hmm. kind of very yeah. good mental state, right? Where you're ready to, you know, just, just chat with, you know, your Twitch chat and everything. But these guys, you know, it, it's like thousands of dollars when they don't stream, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's also depends on what time. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's also dependent on what type of streamer you are. There's yeah. like there's like these pro players that just stream, play ranked, and then just talk a tiny bit with the chat. And XQC is, for example, one of those streamers that mm -hmm. really plays a character on stream, which can be really exhausting at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That plays a role for sure. And I mean, I think the problem is, and the reason why it is such a big touch, is that from a player point of view and maximizing your career as post a player and maximizing revenue earned while you are a player and sort of saying your future streaming is incredibly beneficial, but it does come at a trade-off. And it's something that, you know, I do think orgs are realizing over time too. There's a reason why there's plenty of orgs in the space that are not actively encouraging their players to stream. And it comes off recommendation of coaches and analysts saying, look, this is bad because the issue is, is sort of, you could build the more you stream, the bigger of a, fan base are going to build on the streaming end. However, in that same note is that you're potentially mortgaging that extra bit of performance that could be the difference between getting fourth in the Overwatch League playoffs and being a champion. And being a champion, of course, leads to its own opportunities. So it's very much this uh, tension that's back and forth. And there isn't necessarily a right answer. It kind of depends on what end result you're valuing. And, you know, in the end, it's like you have to ask or I mean, it's it's hard for me to actually see why he wants to be in, in OWL. And I think part of it for originally for me was just like he wanted to be, you know, along for this ride. You know, that's going to be just the this awesome esport initiative. And it is going to be the big storyline, you know, for the Overwatch community. But the thing is, is like I actually see XQC as possibly potentially if he would just only stream, he could be one of the biggest streamers on Twitch. You know, like I think that oh, he actually—he's got has nine thousand viewers right now. So I know. So he—he's already he's top. Pretty... I don't even know what it is, Ben. You could probably say top whatever X, but he could even be higher than that. You know, in in my eyes, if if that's all he was doing. So um, you know, it's really about what he wants out of all this. You know, if he does want like you know just 
this whole esport champ, you know, championship and getting that kind of respect and stuff, then obviously he's going to have to give up some of that streaming stuff and 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 you know, just kind of do away with that. If it's not, if it's just about being like famous and popular and shit, just go and stream because that's going to be the best outlet for him to do that. Well, the thing about XQC too is that relative to a lot of other people in the space, like I would say streamers sort of go in different categories, right? Where yeah, let's take a look at Hearthstone stream, for example. You sort of have the expert in a streamer like Trump where his Hearthstone streams are very informative and you know he built a big fan base over this guy's excellent Hearthstone and want to listen to him. And then you sort of have the streamers that built up more of a cult of personality where people are just like, this like guy's so recently. entertaining. Yeah, like this guy's yeah. toast recently. He's like been in the offline TV house and you know stuff like yeah. that. So. And the XQC is a unique spot right now where even though he built up the initial fan base from his skill and ladder, he's such a strong, unique personality that he could be a multi-game streamer. And he could be an IRL streamer. Yeah. I mean, totally. No doubt. <laughs> so. so he has sort of the streaming versatility that even a guy like Seagull doesn't really have. Yeah, I agree with that. So mm -hmm. it, it's interesting because... XQC is on the Owl player front, but you're totally right that he has a lot of options in the streaming space. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, um, I think uh, yeah. Nuki's got to head to the uh, to the train pretty soon. Oh yeah, so yeah. Wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. I still have about like 15 minutes. So. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's just go through a couple of these news. Lunatic high disbands. QQ. <laughs> um, Super you know, sad, by the yeah, way. That's, uh, that's actually really sad. Yeah. I mean, given that it's obviously been one of the iconic uh, organizations in Overwatch. Uh, so definitely sad to see that. Uh, next bit of news, Mosaic uh, Esports. I think we talked about it. You know, acquires the Team 123's EU contender slot. So, um, you know, kind of kind of cool there. Q&A. How about one last question, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Douglas, I asked, I was thinking today after the completion of the first week of Overwatch League about how they will be able to sustain viewership and unique dynamic content matches for six months straight. Don't get me wrong, I'm excited for pro Overwatch, especially after the drought we had, but do, how do you think they will keep people's attention providing six hours of content four days a week for six months? Yeah, what do you guys uh, think about that? Mm -hmm. Two things. Routine is a hell of a drug. There's people that watch baseball every day for a 163 game season. People will watch a oh, long God. season. <laughs> straight up. I mean, it just... You, you can't underestimate the power of routine. I mean, we're just talking about streaming, right? Where people will watch a streamer long after they're not even interested in the content anymore at times because it just becomes part of their routine. And look, I hope Overwatch content is always compelling and I think it will be. But even if someone, for whatever reason, is kind of tuning out, when you have a reliable schedule, people stick with their routines. So that's alone is going to very much help viewership numbers. The fact that you know that any given day of the week, you can tune in and you can catch Overwatch. Yeah, I think uh, ZP is totally right. Uh, the whole point, or not the whole point, but one of the big things that Overwatch League was striving for was to emulate some of the best things about mainstream sports. Consistency and a and storylines that are woven throughout the, the course of a season are at the core of that. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. I would also say that it's not just the broadcasts, but they're doing the shoulder content, you know, the recap shows, the yep. preview shows. It's good. They're really, really, really good. good. They're yeah, the watch point one was really back. good. They're the best yeah. uh, shows of that kind I've ever seen in esports. So they're clearly doing more than just, you know, doing the broadcasts and phoning it in. They're doing these highlight shows. You've got contenders. you got World Cup during the offseason. Uh, and not to mention the fact that we're still, you know, 
it's it's only two weeks in, but we were still hitting uh, roughly 200k viewers uh, towards the end of the week. Mm-hmm. That is roughly what LCS gets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are saying, what the hell? Why are they doing 20 million buy-in? Like, the Overwatch League is going to fail. It's not going to be big. But actually, if it can even retain 100k average viewers for the average broadcast, you're already in LCS territory uh, in terms of viewership. Uh, so I think even if it drops down, even if it halves what it is now and averages 100k for the rest of the season, that already puts Overwatch into the top echelons of esports, which, in my opinion is pretty much all we could ask for. Yeah. So. Also, fair Agreed. point, though, too, is that it's also make it a lot more competitive versus traditional sports, particularly on niche cable television uh, stations. And more importantly, is that you think about the 100,000 that are watching something like Overwatch League compared to, say, maybe the 250,000 that are watching an NHL game on a Thursday night, the demographics that are watching Overwatch are way more attractive to advertisers than the demographics that are watching you know um, older and more traditional sports just because you're getting a lot more of that vaunted 18 through 30 demo yeah mm-hmm. um yep. i think i think if it if it just can can maintain the the standard level of like 100k maybe a bit higher and lower depending on which teams play is just perfectly fine yeah and I, um- I didn't i didn't expect it to to boom up like some some bigger events like if you have if you have events scattered throughout the year like the international or like like worlds or something um it's way it's way easier to hit like the high spike numbers but having a consistent number that like fluctuates only a tiny bit is definitely a success for it in my opinion sorry the the only thing the only thing I, i forgot to mention is where they're also trying this really crazy new format for overwatch league where they have those five stages throughout the season so we're actually going to get little mini apexes as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was going to so, say. I mean, who knows how well those are going to do? But if if uh, if a stage finals gets like 300, 400k viewers, then we're even better. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So, anyways, with the scheduling, they're going to try to figure it out in this first season. They obviously had this structure in place to to create these kind of peaks, and you know, it could be an all star type of thing too, right? That's another kind of idea we've seen in the past with with LCS that that's kind of generated a big event. But you know, they'll they'll get it right. I think by, by season two, season three, we'll see a, a pretty good formula for creating this kind of like consistent, uh, content as well as like, you know, having these special events that, you know, that make the season like pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's already a success guys. I mean, Oh, also you, you drops. Know, it's like, as, you know, I forgot. Drop, sorry. What drops? What do you mean? Sorry. I'm just like throwing, I'm just interjecting oh. randomly, but yeah, drops, um, for watching token drops. It's oh gonna yeah. Come. Yeah. That's going to start uh, up soon eventually. too. That's, that's going to start. What? That's gonna yeah. come, dude. I still yeah. didn't get mine for the newsletter, dude. I'm still pissed off. You'll get it. <laughs> I, I, I signed up for news. I got. I mean, my son's like, <laughs> he just did it the other day, and he gets it. I'm like, what the hell? I'm getting screwed. So I'm gonna have to figure it out. Uh, but Nuki, I know you got to get going. So why don't we do some shout outs here? And um, you know, thanks a lot for coming on. We've been we've been waiting for the. I think Ben, didn't, you know, definitely mentioned even I think sometime in December. It's like we should get Nuki on. I'm like, yeah, hey, we should totally do that. And then we just kind of got all crazy busy with the vacation, just the holidays and everything. So I'm glad we finally got a chance to have you on. Yay! Yeah. Any, any shout outs you want to do before you take off? Um. If if people wanna wanna follow me and are interested in oh, in some some stuff I do, <laughs> they can definitely follow me on Twitter. That's the best thing. Um, at Nuki Izzy I Z Z Y at the end. Um, I kind of tweet some some photos from Dreamhack if I if I get the time. 
Okay, awesome. And DreamHack is in what city is DreamHack in actually? It's, uh, in Leipzig. Leipzig. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I don't think I've ever ever been there, or I don't think I've heard that city very much. It's either. it's it's way far eastern Germany. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and then check out her team too tomorrow on Overwatch Pit. Oh yeah, guy. we play we play two and a half games tomorrow, like mm -hmm. two maps oh, God, and then two other games. Huh? More than okay. the Overwatch League teams. Play. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we're not as well paid, so we have to work more. Yeah, know? that's true. Got to do that grind. ZP, want to do some shoutouts? Uh, Shoutouts. Uh, just uh, really look forward to lots of cool content coming in 2018. Uh, obviously, Overwatch League is going, and there's a lot of just cool things bubbling uh right underneath where obviously you're seeing a little bit right now at the eut2 scene but guys uh strap in it's gonna be a really good year all right ben no leaks no leaks no uh, leaks <laughs> thanks for coming on nuki good good luck for your team tomorrow uh hey. and in the rest of the tournament um yeah it's uh you know like like we said last week or sorry, two weeks ago, we're going to be a little bit less consistent with the show, but we're mm -hmm. we're still happy to bring. We're it still going to gonna do can. it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially when big things happen or big news. Kind yeah. Of happens. Uh, and then I'll round things out. Thanks everybody for staying up, watching us. I know it's late for a lot of you, especially for folks in Europe. So I appreciate you guys watching. You can always find the vods on YouTube.com/slash/ChainMV as always, as well as on iTunes and Android and all the podcast apps that people use. Leave us a review if you love the show. Five star reviews obviously help in terms of people finding you know us and when they're searching for Overwatch podcasts. But uh, that's going to be it, guys, for the overview this week. So for Nuki, ZP, Fish Six, and myself, Cham MV, we'll see you next week. <laughs>